Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. I got to take the Graceland Church staff on a couple-day retreat down in Tullahoma. Uh, the last couple days, anybody been down to Tullahoma? Two. It's a cool town about an hour and a half south of here, and they have an Air Force base there. I didn't know there was an Air Force base so close, but I might as well tell you this now. If you're going to be at Graceland Church, yes, Jesus and the kingdom of God, but also I'm going to share my love of military planes with you because I grew up on naval air stations with my dad as a chaplain, and that town down there I was like, it was fun on my birthday weekend because I got to be like a little kid around this Air Force base on their uh, uh, light posts. They had like airplanes, not obviously full size, but like small models of airplanes. They were decorating their town with jets. That's my kind of town. I'm just saying. So we have found a good place to retreat in. If you really want to understand my family, the Kolar family, come with us to an air show one of these days. We love going and just having so much fun. The staff retreat was wonderful. In case you don't know who our core staff members are, this is me and my wife, Jessica, Oscar Brajas, who you heard from earlier, and then Stephen and Heather, who lay. And of course, there's another team of a leadership community around them and a great board that we're gonna be electing and putting in place in December. But one of the things we did is just dreamed about 2022, uh, prayed, asked God what's on your heart, guide our steps, direct our thinking, and we're asking those questions, what is your will for our lives and for our church next year? And we again just wanna make ourselves, like the song said, available. And it's the same thing I do around birthdays every year, similar to like a new year. We ask those questions, what is my life moving towards? Is it God's will or is it my will? Is it, is it his dream for me or am I just doing my own thing? I wanna know what God wants for me because I believe that I will most flourish when I am aligned with him. And I believe that I will, I will have whatever influence he wants me to have when I am aligned with him. So the answer is not me setting 100 new goals for myself or for our church. It's to align ourselves with his will. But then it begs the question, how do we understand God's will? Have you guys ever asked that question? I do a lot of counseling, and it's always one of the top two or three questions that generally bubble up in people's hearts is how do I discern the will of God for my life? And it's not just when we're younger and trying to figure out the big questions like where are we going to live, what are we going to do, who are we going to marry if we're going to get married, but it, it goes into adulthood too, right? Like what do I do with this decision at work? How do I deal with this issue with this child or with this grandchild? What's my next move regarding this aspect of my finances or the housing market right now? We're praying about buying a home because we're still renting and we're like, Lord, guide our steps. We don't want to pay like a quarter of a million dollars too much for a house. You know what I mean? We're like, God, what is your will? Have you ever asked that? You might be asking it right now. We want to know your heart because we want to go your way, God. It's a good thing to prayerfully ask on a regular basis. And today, uh, as we study through the Gospel of John, we learn about understanding God's will. We're just being informed by the text itself. So it's not even like something that I decided I wanted to preach on today. It's just lifted from what we're bumping into as we go through the Gospel of John. So we're going to read the whole text then I'm going to talk through it uh, verse by verse for a few minutes. It's John 4, 27 through 42. And the context here, if you weren't here last week, is Jesus just had a profound encounter with a Samaritan woman at a well. 
And it was just unheard of because in that um, moment in biblical history, the Samaritans and the Jews would never associate. Yet Jesus goes into Samaria and associates with this Samaritan woman, and Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. Furthermore, a male Jewish rabbi would never even speak publicly to a woman like this. I'm glad we're not still there anymore, but that was how it was then. Jesus bypasses that tradition of man and engages conversation with this woman. And then even more than that, we find out this woman is a known outcast. She has a very uh, shady history with lots of different husbands and lots of different things with different men. But Jesus is demonstrating the heart of God so powerfully for us that God's desire is for every single tribe, language, people, nation, gender, social class, and background to come into relationship with him and have eternal life. And then after that encounter, we pick up reading in verse 27. I almost just started preaching right there. I was just like recapping last week. I'm like, what am I? That was last Sunday. Let me get into what we're doing. Verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. What an incredible passage of scripture. So we're gonna dial back to verse 28. The disciples are already surprised to find Jesus talking to a woman. They don't understand what's going on. Then the woman, all full of life and passion, in verse 28, it says, he, she left her water jar. She went back to the town, and she said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now, this is a beautiful picture of what evangelism, meaning what sharing your faith is actually meant to look like biblically. She is literally just excited about what just happened in her life, this encounter with Jesus, and the overflow of that is that she wants to tell some other people that she knows about that encounter. Number one in your notes, biblical evangelism is simply saying, come and see this person who changed my life. His name is Jesus. It's that simple. And to help illustrate this point, I wanna share a story about my own upbringing. I grew up in the church, and before I even really knew God, I was hearing you know, the messages of God, and I was hearing pastors and leaders tell me, you've gotta go be a witness, go share your faith. But I was a kid, and I didn't even really have a passion for God yet. I don't believe I had really met 
Jesus yet, though I would have called myself a Christian. And so it felt like a burden to me when people said, you gotta go share your faith. I mean, I, I remember being like a seventh and eighth grader and in the morning getting ready and thinking, oh man, I, if I'm gonna be a good Christian, I gotta tell someone about Jesus today. Has anyone ever felt like that? And it, it felt like a burden more than anything else. And it's such an important correction that Jesus gives us with one of the very first things he says. He says, come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. I was getting that order backwards as a kid. I was trying to become a fisher of men, meaning tell people about Jesus, so that it would mean I was a Christian, right? If I do this, and if I get that right, then I'll be a Christian. This is what everybody's telling me. I don't wanna go to hell, so I better tell people about Jesus, right? Can we be really honest? That was just how I was interpreting the message. What Jesus actually said, though, was come follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. He was saying, come meet me. Come have an encounter with the living God, and when you do that, the overflow of it, he will make you a fisher of men, as seen in this story with the woman. She didn't get some message, oh, wow, if I wanna have eternal life, if, if, if I want my life to be transformed and, and moved out of all this shame, I gotta go tell all my friends about Jesus. That never crossed her mind. She met Jesus. Jesus spoke prophetically into her life, with truth and grace and mercy, she felt her heart burn within her and it was just the overflow. Oh, wow, I gotta tell some people about this. Tracking with me? That is the biblical model of evangelism. Meanwhile, the disciples, the ones that Jesus is raising up to launch the church in the book of Acts are not paying attention to any of this profound work happening and they're just saying, Rabbi, eat something. They're thinking about food. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And his disciples totally missed that too because they said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Like they're just thinking in the natural about everything when Jesus is talking spiritually. And I love reading about how thick-headed the disciples were sometimes because it means there's hope for me, right? Like when I, it, I, I am that thick-headed Jesus will be trying to do some profound thing and I'll be over here trying to go get lunch at Chick-fil-A. You know what I mean? Now that is Christian chicken. So at least, at least I'm sure Jesus is at least like, good that it was Chick-fil-A, but let's get back to the mission. If Chick-fil-A was around, this story would be really different, I think, if they would have brought some nuggets. But Jesus then goes really deep in verse 34. Listen to this statement. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And I believe that Jesus here is not just explaining to us what he's doing, but he's modeling for us how he has called us to live. Number two, doing the Father's will satisfies a deeper hunger than physical food for you. Last week, we talked about how the living water is the only thing that can quench that deepest thirst in us. And we will, we will chase everything for our entire lives, but until we taste the living water, can we find the deepest, uh, the, the quenching of the deepest thirst of our souls? Now we're looking at food that we get to taste by doing the Father's will. I was talking to, <laughs> there's a cute little one up here laughing and playing. I was talking to my dad this week because I, I was telling him how I quoted him a couple weeks ago. It might've been last Sunday. And it was kind of a negative quote, but I think it's actually positive. He, he told me once, he said, son, I've realized in life, nothing can make me happy. And when he first told me that, I was like, oh, I, I'm your oldest son, my brother Josh, my sister Heather, I thought we brought you a little joy. He's like, nope, nothing makes me happy. 
and all these great things. And, and I, I told him I quoted him, and I, I was sharing it as a good thing because the more you realize that even the great things in life don't satisfy the deepest needs, the more you look for that living water, right? So I was talking with him, and I explained it to him, and he said, Nathan, I need you to tell the congregation a, a bit of a clarification. So he, he said, he sent me, he said, Nathan, this Sunday, I want you to clarify this to Graceland Church. So he's influencing us from Pennsylvania, and I'm, at the end of the day, when I'm talking to my dad, I'm still a little boy, right? So I got to do what he told me. He said, tell them that, yes, I've realized that nothing, nothing in this you know, temporal world, nothing that I've pursued, and yes, even to agree, my own kids, my, his wife, my mother, and all the wonderful things of life, they don't in and of themselves satisfy the deepest hunger or the deepest thirst. But then here's his clarification. In reality, I am immensely filled with joy, he said, and satisfied incredibly deeply in, and he's talking to me, in you, son, and in your brother and in your sister when it comes to the incredible work of God that he's done in you. And when I see what the Lord has done and how you guys have responded, that's the thing that really feeds my soul. So that's his clarification. So I've done right by my dad. Point being, he is speaking to this point. Jesus is saying, my food, the thing that is fulfilling me at the deepest level is the will of God and it's to finish the work of my Father who sent me. So you have to ask yourself this question. Are we more like Jesus or the disciples in this story? The disciples are missing what God is doing because they are only meal-minded. They're just thinking about what they're gonna eat. Jesus is involved in this incredibly beautiful moment with this Samaritan woman because he is mission-minded. So it's a good thing to challenge ourselves with. Am I more meal-minded or more mission-minded? Now, granted, there's nothing wrong with a great meal, and we have to eat, and it's okay to look forward to it. Also think of it metaphorically. Are we just thinking about what we are going to get next, or what we are going to eat next, or what season of life is going to fulfill us next, or do we have this sense of the mission of God that, that, that allows us to taste of this deeper food that satisfies our hunger? That's what we're starting to see a picture of here. And then Jesus clarifies, or rather, he goes deeper in verse 35, don't you say... It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. So these terms, the fields are like a metaphor for all of humanity. The harvest is talking about the salvation of mankind, hope, healing, redemption, restoration, the message of Jesus coming, and there's going to be a harvest. God is going to cause his work to be done in people, and his kingdom is going to burst out of that. That's what he's talking about, and he's saying, a lot of times you guys think someday down the road this great thing is going to happen, but Jesus is saying the time is right now. So in other words, there is this great thing happening that will, that will touch your deepest hunger, you stepping into the will of the Father. And it's not four months from now, it's literally right now. And it speaks to our human nature. We're always kind of looking to four months from now or a year from now or four years from now for something that will happen. And Jesus is bringing us right back to saying, the harvest is plenty right now. And it shows that that's in number three, the Father's will is the fullness of salvation and eternal life. That is his will. Then Jesus says, even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. So pay attention to this. He's saying that God the Father has been preparing for this great harvest of salvation since before time. 
been sowing seeds, been setting up the plan, been making a way, and now you, he's saying to his disciples, get to be a part of going and collecting this harvest, though you've done none of the work to get it, much like how we receive salvation. So he's saying, receive this gift of salvation. It can only be received, but then also receive this mission. Go be a part of the harvest. Number four, based on the work of Christ, you get to receive the gift of eternal life and offer it to others. And by doing this, you start to taste of this food that Jesus was talking about because you're understanding his will. So there's no such thing as a Christian that is an actual follower of Christ that does not become concerned about offering this message of hope to their neighbor. That's why our mission statement is following Jesus, which then immediately orients us to loving our neighbor. And it's important to clarify too, you know, again, Thinking about myself as a kid, I remember hearing preachers, including, you know, my parents and a bunch of my family saying, if you believe in Jesus, you can have eternal life, which as a kid, it's like, I don't even care about eternal life. I feel like I'm eternal anyway, and, you know, now I think a little bit differently, but what does eternal life mean if if you don't even like life? Or you remember how when people have talked about heaven is just going to be like an eternal worship service? I was like, oh, don't sign me up for that. Like, I... That's not what I want to do for eternity. Like we have this, we have these images of eternal life of like an ending, an unending church service or, or just something that we don't understand. Uh, it's important to, to dial back a little bit and understand that part of what Jesus and all of scripture is talking about with eternal life is you stepping into the fullness of life in Christ right now. It's, it's you stepping onto that path and it's articulated beautifully and it ties this all together, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Listen to this invitation for how to live. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If that's eternal life, and if that's what we're invited into now, that's really good. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if you felt like your heart could rejoice always? Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if you, if you were just praying continually, you're just walking in communion and relationship with the Spirit of God? Wouldn't it be a great thing if you could genuinely, at a heart level, give thanks in all circumstances? Could you imagine that superpower? That's the invitation here. And it says, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And it ties together this whole invitation. You are invited into the essence of life, which is in Christ, which begins now, which lasts forever. So like the whole heaven and hell thing, we start choosing that right now. Like, which way are we walking now? What are we entering into? The invitation gets framed a lot different when we understand that the depth of what it really is. And I love pulling it together this way in point five. The Father's will is that you rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, and offer this essence of life to others. So you're invited into life, and you're offering life through Christ, the good news of Jesus, the forgiveness of our sins, a peace that passes understanding. Now, now look at me for a second, because I want to just explain to you something I do personally based on this message. It won't be on the screen, but I'll say it a few times in case you want to write it down. This is a grid based on these ideas for how to discern God's will, how to understand it. And I believe it will be helpful to you. Just three simple ideas to filter your thoughts and your emotions and your decision, decision-making process through. Because if you're anything like me, when you're, when you're grappling with big decisions, your emotions go crazy. 
your thoughts go crazy, and you have to figure out some, some systems, some grids to filter them through. Can you, is anybody like me? Like you just ping pong everywhere. Here's a few simple thoughts, and then we're going to close. Number one, if I'm faced with a big decision, I don't know what God's will is, I first ask myself, am I walking in the essence of eternal life now? Am I walking in the essence of eternal life right now? In other words, as articulated in this scripture, before I even deal with this decision, am I rejoicing always? Before I deal with this decision, am I praying continually? Am I giving thanks despite whatever happens with these circumstances? Am I giving thanks? Am I believing this this life-giving invitation to walk with Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, because when you begin to orient your life around those things, it really puts into perspective and helps you think clearly about the big decision that's looming. But if you don't take the time to really ask yourself that number one first question, you're gonna be all over the map and you're gonna, you're gonna look for so much of your satisfaction through that decision rather than saying, I've got my satisfaction now already. Therefore, I can approach this very differently. And then number two, am I walking in partnership with the mission of God now? Am I walking in partnership with the mission of God now? So first, am I walking in this eternal life right now? Two, am I actually considering and orienting my life around his mission? In other words, using finance as an example, um, we live in a wealthy county, we live in a wealthy area. I know not everybody in the room is wealthy, but contextually, if you compare it us to the world, probably everyone in the room is wealthy. And then some of us would be in the like upper 1% of the 1% of the wealth in the world, just by nature of what we've been, where we've been born and where we've lived and what kind of jobs we've gotten. Even if you don't feel like that, it's true. And so when we are making financial decisions, when we are approaching something that we are not sure what to do about, it is important before we make that decision to say, am I already walking in life? And am I oriented around God's mission? Because if I don't say those things, I'm gonna make decisions that maybe are just to benefit myself or it may be based out of my fear and my anxiety rather than saying, what are my finances meant to look like in order to further God's mission? Not in order to, to better make me feel great about the next 30 years of my life or the next 10 years of my life, whatever it may be. So the orienting before the decision is absolutely critical. That missionary couple that we were just with, they're in their mid-40s. And we were, they were lamenting with us a little bit one of the things they're struggling with right now because they've been on the mission field uh, for 25 years, essentially, since they were around 20 years old. And they've raised their kids there. They've done everything there. Therefore, they own no property. They don't have the kind of equity or built-in things that many of their friends have that are now at that mid-age life moment. Therefore, this missionary couple is not dealing with any of the same kinds of decisions regarding what their future looks like, but they have made the choice to orient completely around God's mission and walk in the deepest peace, the deepest purpose, the deepest meaning, and their reward will be great, right? They might not have what you or I have. They don't, but their reward will be great they orient themselves around the kingdom. Do you see how if you really spend time on these first two questions, it completely changes how you make every decision. If you're wondering things like, who am I gonna marry? We have lots of young adults and young people in this church that are wrestling with those kind of questions. If you ask those two questions first, am I already walking in the essence of life? Am I already oriented around the mission of God? By doing that, you're making yourself someone who's even marriable. You're setting yourself up for a healthy relationship, but if you don't do those, 
you're gonna look for the essence of life in your marriage. And can all the married people say, not a good idea. <laughs> you're not gonna find the essence of life in your marriage. And, if, and you're not gonna find the mission of God in your marriage if you're not married to someone who's also orienting their life around the mission of God. So these questions are just enormous and they very much change how you make decisions. Then once you do that, the final question that I ask is, once that's in place, for my specific situation, I say, what seems right to us and the Holy Spirit? Which is a phrase lifted right out of the book of Acts. What seems right to us and to the Holy Spirit? And I think us is good there. Even if you're single, um, ask yourself, what seems right to me and the people that I trust in my life that I process things with? Do your best to come to the decision, what feels right by the Holy Spirit once those two things are in place, and then go for it. Like, just live. It's a, it's a green light until it's a red light. Like, we have so many Christians all nervous about God's will and missing it, and, and oh my goodness, what if this, what if that? And we're just not called to live like that. We are not meant to have a spirit of fear. So if you are walking in life, if you are orienting around the mission, and you're saying, what, is, what seems right to us in the Holy Spirit, just go for it, be bold, have joy in your decisions. And if God, and when God, sometimes needs to correct you or redirect you, he can do that. Did you realize he's God? So you can live and you can have joy and you can have freedom and you can make big decisions. We need more Christians that are thinking those big blue sky open dreams type of things that people do in business. It's like the business people are doing that more than the Christians sometimes. I'm like, wait a second. We should have a, a, a Christian biblical imagination and creativity that far surpasses anything else for the sake of this essence of life and this mission of God and the joy that we have to live in that. Are you guys tracking with me? And as the team comes up, we're gonna take communion here in a minute. I wanna read the rest of the text because it's a beautiful conclusion to what happens. In verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of this Samaritan woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came, they urged him to stay, and he did. And because of his words, many more became believers. So this whole town of Samaritans is getting transformed because this woman has an encounter with God and allows her life to become mission-minded. And I guarantee you, she started to taste that food that Jesus was talking about. If you've never experienced what it is to have your life impact another person's life towards the things of God, you haven't really tasted the food that Jesus Christ is talking about yet, but you're invited to. Move away from being meal-minded into mission-minded. It says, they told the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. We know this man is really the savior of the world. So let's stop obsessing over like our location or our vocation and all the decisions that we're nervous about and being crippled with fear and anxiety. Yes, the COVID season has been crazy. That's fine. Let's move on, right? Like we can walk in hope. We can walk in wholeness. Like our minds can be oriented around the things of God and we can start to make decisions by faith. You don't have to be afraid of how you're gonna survive the next 30 years. You're a child of the King. Make decisions, trust Him, walk in joy. 
and by doing this, you avoid the traps, right? Don't get sucked into the trap of comparison. And when I get more meal-minded in my life, and think of it metaphorically, like my wife and I are trying to buy a home, as I mentioned right now, if I start comparing myself and our situation and our finances to everyone we're around, and if I start thinking, oh my goodness, all of my kids in college, and not that we plan for those things, of course, but if I start thinking all I'm doing is being meal-minded about everything in my life, guess what starts to happen? I get scared. I feel anxiety. I feel pressure. I compare myself to other people. I get down. I feel discouraged. But when I reorient it and return to my relationship with God and say, wait a second, all those things are true. I need to think about it. But I'm oriented around the mission. I'm oriented. My goal here is not setting myself up so I don't need God. My goal here is orienting around the mission and saying, my kids belong to you, Lord. My life is yours. In two seconds, if you tell me to leave everything and go to the mission field, I'll do it. I'm, I'm in. I'm yours. Now, we're not leaving. I'm not making an announcement. But then I have peace. Then I'm, I'm not building in this world stuff that I think I'm going to keep forever. I'm building for eternity. And you're invited to build for eternity. And it can reframe every challenge in your life. And you can start to experience give thanks in all circumstances. You can start to experience the life that actually is life. And so you're invited today, whether you're not a Christian yet and you want to say, man, maybe I want to put my faith in Jesus. You can do that today. Pray it in your heart. You can take communion with us. And by taking it, you're saying, I want to be a Christian. Or you can re-up today. You know, if you're anything like me, I I, I need to re-up multiple times a week. That's right. I'm a follower of Jesus. This is what I'm all about. I'm orienting my whole life around the living God. And if that's you today, as you take communion, make that your prayer. If you don't have a cup and you'd like one, raise your hand real quick and Debbie will bring you one. If you have one, go ahead and take off the top layer and take the piece of bread out. It's actually a cracker. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. it says that when Jesus had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So this Jesus that we've been talking about told us to do this, to remember him and to preach the gospel to ourselves. So that's what we're doing as we're partaking. So take it in your hand and pray with me. Lord, thank you that you allowed your body to be broken so the mind could be whole. Thank you that you took my place. You are my redeemer. You are my savior. Like the song said, when you speak, a hundred million failures disappear because of what you've done on Calvary for us. And if, if you're sitting there and, and you're just not sure about this, pray with me in your heart. Jesus, I wanna follow after you. I thank you for allowing your body to be broken for my sake. I receive this salvation in Jesus' name. Let's eat together. Go ahead and take off the uh, top layer of the juice. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. As you hold it up, church, and as we pray, Think about that lyric of that song that's so beautiful. By the word of Christ, because of what he's done, the word that he already spoke that you just need to receive, a hundred million failures disappear. So let yours disappear. Receive forgiveness. Receive wholeness. Receive life. Say, Jesus, I want to learn about this will of God that is eternal life, not just later, but now. Teach me to rejoice, to pray, 
to give thanks in all circumstances. Thank you for forgiving me for my sin. Thank you for giving me a fresh start. Thank you for being my redeemer. You're not just the savior of the world. Thank you for being my savior. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you for changing everything in my world, making me new. Thank you for brand new mercy. In Jesus' name, let's drink together, church. Rochelle's gonna lead us in this song that we learned during offering. Just make your seat an altar. You can stand, you can come to these altars. Then I'll come up and close us, but let's just sing this as we press into his presence and respond. You know, when we, when we stand before the Lord like this, remember, you're, you're interacting with the living God. And yes, we're together and it's beautiful. Hear our voices in unison singing. But just take a minute before I close, bring your heart before him. Offer your heart in a surrendered posture. And sometimes you see us raise our hands. In one sense, you're saying surrender. In the other sense, you're saying praise the Lord. So I, I love that. I love that at the same time, we're saying I surrender and my hands are up. My, my, my palms are raised to you. My hand is open because I've let go. And I've said, my life is yours. I've tried it my own way. I wanna go your way. And I want to remind myself again today that I want to go your way. I want a taste of this food of the will of God. I want to be a part of your work. I want a taste of this essence of life. My hands are up, surrendered. And at the same time, I'm saying, praise the Lord for showing me a better way. Praise the Lord for mercy and patience, putting up with me and my stubbornness over and over, yet repeatedly opening the door for me to walk right back in. Thank you, God, for your mercy, your patience. Thank you that your word makes us new. Church, for just a another minute or two, let's offer our lives to him and raise our hearts, our hands, our voices, and sing this as Rochelle leads. Thank you for your presence that's with us. Thank you for this good news, Lord. We give you thanks. I'm gonna pray a benediction over us, church, and then we'll be dismissed. Before I do, I wanted to give a quick shout out. I didn't get to do it in first service, but Rochelle, on her way in this morning, probably at like 6.30 in the morning, do you care if I say this? Um, spilled really hot coffee all over her hand that she was about to play piano with. And uh, so we were like, oh no, we need to, Matt, and we we're like, let's help. We need to get her some ice or something. And she's been in a lot of pain all morning, yet still played piano and still led us through both services. So let's give thanks to Rochelle. I was thinking, Rochelle, you need like a new version of this song that's like, I'm available even when I burn my hand really bad. Here I am. Please help me not. Yes, exactly. So pray for her hand to heal quickly. You know how those burns are just, it's not fun. Um, I also want to remind you, uh, if you're interested, prayerfully, drop your membership commitment in the, in the box out there, the black box on the welcome table. If you have questions, talk to me about it. Just let me know. You can email us, and you can do this any week um, leading up to that meeting. Let me pray this benediction, and we'll be dismissed. May God rejoice over you with gladness. May Christ Jesus renew you in his love. And may the Holy Spirit give you peace beyond understanding to guard your hearts and minds in Christ. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you guys.